We're going to start off with Acts chapter, nine, chapter 8, verses 9 to 13. So hopefully that will appear on the screen, and I'm going to open my Bible. It's in the NIV, which is the, uh, the one that I've got, so that's the one that I use. So, are we there? Brilliant. Now, so, word of God's been scattered by folks disappearing off from Jerusalem and uh, actually from Judea as well. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptised. And he followed Philip, Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So... First things first, it's worthwhile remembering um, that um, Acts was written by Luke, Dr. Luke. And the thing about Dr. Luke was he was actually quite a clever guy. Um, he had to be to be a doctor, really, in, in those days. But he didn't actually write this story down, this account down, for a, a, a very long time after it had happened. At this point in the history of the church, Paul, Saul as he was known then, was actually still thinking about getting some letters to go and, you know, sort of uh, have a go at the uh, folks um, in um, Damascus. So he hadn't even got that far. And I mean, Luke probably didn't write this story until Paul had been around the place quite a bit, ended up back in um, Jerusalem and, and, and was arrested. That was probably about the time that um, Luke started writing his gospel and, um, and, and, and the book of Acts. So it was a long time after. But one of the other things about um, Luke is he's a kind of a guy that has to check and make sure that what he's writing is correct. Now, he's very likely to have met Philip um, you know, on the way back to Jerusalem at the very least, but possibly before. Um, and he's no doubt met um, Peter and John, you know, and some of the other, um, maybe some of the other apostles. So he had the chance to actually talk to them a lot about what had happened. He was also writing to a guy named Theophilus in both um, his gospel and in Acts. And um, I've heard it said, and I don't know whether this is true, but I've heard it said that actually Theophilus was the judge who was appointed to try Paul in Rome. I don't know whether that's true, but it sure makes a lot of sense that he was actually preparing the ground for Paul to be able to, um, you know, sort of um, defend himself, if you like, when he got to the actual um, judgment seat um, in Rome. So that may or may not be true, but I like it. It feels right. It feels sensible. So we've talked about a little bit about um, Acts and a little bit about Luke and how he, he might have um, written it. But what about Simon? So was Simon, you know, was he just a 
a sort of a clever conjurer or an illusionist? Well, I, I, I can't believe that he was just a bit of a conjurer or a bit of an illusionist because, um, you know, they, they, the people, both high and low, it says, so everybody, or lots and lots of people, thought he was... Um, he was... They called him um, the great power. In fact, they added divine to some of the description. So they, they, were all, they almost considered him to be godlike. I don't think that you consider a, an illusionist to be godlike. So there was something else going on with this guy. Mind you, it's also very true because Luke, Luke was very clear. Um, Simon did think he was pretty good as well, you know. So um, that, was, that was there. Um, I'm not going to ask people to put their hands up if they've ever been in a position where they thought maybe they were quite good, and, you know, worth, worth um, a little bit of uh, something or other. Anyway, so let's carry on with, um, with Simon. Now, it says that he practiced magic. And it's interesting. Just think back a little while. Um, the root of the word magic is magi. Now, I don't know whether you can remember... But there was a time when Daniel, the prophet, was put in charge of the Magi. Now, he will have had a huge influence on them. And I wouldn't be surprised um, if one of the books that the Magi actually held and looked at and read a lot was actually Daniel's book. Because... It's not really surprising if you think about it because the Magi actually turned up when Jesus was born. That was about 450 years later and they were looking for it. So I kind of feel that, you know, they would have had it and I, I, it wouldn't have surprised me one little bit if one of the books and one of the things, one of the papers that, that um, Simon had was actually done. Uh, Daniel's book and his book of prophecy. Now, he was also very rich. I can't remember where that popped up, but he was very rich. And he probably had a very, very big collection of documents and things, you know, to help him with his magic. So, um, just want to make a quick reference. I'm not going to look it up. I'm going to bring it up. But in Acts, um, later on in Acts, in chapter 19, there's a description where um, um, a lot of the uh, people who had become Christians brought their documents on sorcery and the occult and all that sort of thing and burned them. And it tells us that they were worth about 50,000 drachmas. Now, according to my Bible, a drachma was equivalent to one day's wage. Okay, so I sort of thought about this and said, okay, if we take the living wage, which is going to be about £11 an hour, we need an easy number, and we assume that a person works for eight hours, well, that's 88. If you multiply 88 by 50,000, or at least when I did it, um, it came to £4.5 million. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if this guy, um, Simon, had tens of thousands of pounds worth of documents that told him how to do his sorcery. Wouldn't have surprised me at all. So, what happened when Philip arrived in Samaria? 
Philip preached the good news. He preached Jesus and he performed healings and miracles, I guess, because he didn't do it himself in the name of Jesus. It doesn't actually say that in the Bible, but, you know, it's kind of obvious. So he was preaching Jesus. He was performing miracles in the name of Jesus. So, Simon, the great power, was astonished by what he saw. Now just think about that for a moment. There's Simon, you know, I'm really somebody very important and I can do, whoa, amazing things. People have been amazed for years by the stuff that I do. Simon, the great power, was astonished. I mean, he was really astonished because Luke tells us writing this down years later, that Simon believed and was baptised. He doesn't make any comment about, um, you know, sort of anything else. He just says he believed and was baptised. Now, speculation. Do you know, one of the problems with accounts in the Bible, we are forced to try and, you know, sort of understand and we have to speculate. So I'm going to speculate just for a moment, just for a moment, that maybe he did have a copy of Daniel. And when he heard the preaching about Jesus, he recognised something. And he was just sort of thinking, well, is this Jesus, the rock that was cut out? but not by human hands. That comes from um, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Okay? There was something going on. Yeah, as I say, I'm speculating. I don't know. But it doesn't sound unreasonable, does it? It had to have been something incredibly significant for Simon, the great power, to have actually decided... There's something bigger than me here. Do you know, I also have to speculate that a lot of his practices were based on the occult or demonic influences. Perhaps he kind of looked at what was happening with um, Philip and recognised that Philip's miracles came from a greater power than anything that he'd experienced before. Something big had to have happened. But Luke doesn't tell us what it was. So, let's move on to the next bit. Chapter 8, verses 14 to 19. Woohoo, that's a great thing, isn't it? And then suddenly it appears. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Top guys. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them. They had simply been baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's dig into that a little bit. Peter and John arrive and they recognise that the Samaritans who have believed and been baptised... They recognise them as legitimate, but realise that they haven't actually received the Holy Spirit. So, they pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Clearly nothing happened when they prayed, so they laid hands on them. And actually, it doesn't say that they just laid hands on one or two of them. It says all of them. That's what it indicates to me, that they lay hands on all of them. Now, Simon was one of those believers. He'd been baptised in water. And Luke doesn't make it clear if Simon was baptised in the Holy Spirit, but I have a sneaking suspicion that he actually was baptised in the Holy Spirit. So I need you to throw out any other things that you've got in your head at the moment. Because Luke is just writing what he has heard, what he knows happened from those that were witnesses at the time. But he doesn't actually go into detail of this one received the Holy Spirit, that one, that one didn't, this one didn't. No, he just says, when they laid hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Now, if Simon had been astonished by seeing the miracles, receiving the Holy Spirit must have actually blown his mind. Because, I mean, he'd never, ever come across anything like this before. So, he says, look, I I want to receive this, have some money. Have some money. I want to receive this. I want to be able to do what you're doing. How dare he do this? Some of you might be feeling a little bit indignant about that. But actually, I want to challenge you on that. Do we have the right to be indignant about Simon saying, have some money, I want to receive this? Let's be clear, Simon will have only been a Christian perhaps for a few months. Certainly, it feels like less than a year. So, and he wouldn't have been termed a Christian by then because we hadn't come up with a name by then, but I'm going to use the term Christian because we all know what it means. So, he'd only been a Christian for a short while. and, And, you know, I'm not too sure how deep... Um, Philip's teaching would have been on, you know, what happens next. I mean, they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. So, limitations. What we don't know and what um, Luke doesn't tell us was whether or not he thought, you know, he wanted to remain important. 
you know, I need to be, I need to be, a, I'm the great power, I need to have this. We don't know if that was his motivation. Having received the Spirit, I mean, he believed in Jesus. He heard the story, believed and was baptised. He may just have been so amazed by the Holy Spirit, he just wanted to bless everybody else with it. Do we not feel that way when, when, when we receive blessings from God that we actually want to share them? Well, I tell you, you should do <laughs> because it's a, it's a free gift. Whatever God gives, is, he gives freely. Now, we're dealing with a point where Simon has received the Holy Spirit and he's probably seen some pretty odd things as the Holy Spirit came. Luke doesn't actually record manifestations, so we'll go with um, some of the ones that we know about. Perhaps he saw people falling over. Heard people speaking in tongues. Maybe there were a few folks that burst out laughing and couldn't stop. There might have been people crying, but not because they were sad, by the way. There was something else going on there. And then there was the shaking. Somebody here could well be sat in a very holy chair that had a good shake last week. <laughs> I hope you don't mind that, friend. Because when the Spirit comes, stuff happens. I can remember one um, lady from my previous church who, she'd been baptised in the Spirit, but Frequently, we had these prayer meetings where people would, you know, sort of want to be, want to get more of the Holy Spirit. And so what happened was with this particular lady, the way, you know, she would just be there with her hands open, eyes closed. And people would be praying for her. And they knew that if they stood still, they were in trouble. Because what she did was while she was praying, just very slowly, she walked forwards they had to be careful that they didn't end up with a wall behind them, otherwise. All sorts of things get happen. I know that if I asked you, you would tell me a few other things. I, I could tell you about an occasion at a New Frontiers Leaders Conference where I ended up out the front praying for other people and the tables were turned. And um, all I'm going to say is that in the end, they decided they needed to put me on the floor for my own safety and the safety of those that were around. Okay. Look, Simon has seen amazing things. He is just completely wow. Now, listen, Simon's approach to stuff is like, okay, I, I, that's brilliant. Do you know what? I'm, I'm going to buy that. That's his normal approach. So his approach, you see it, you buy it. <laughs> that, that was his normal approach to things. You see it, you buy it. So maybe we shouldn't be indignant about the fact that he offered to pay for it. Okay, I can move on to my last piece of paper, you'll be pleased to know. And let's do the next Bible reading. Let's do that. Whoa. It's quite good, isn't it? It's quite exciting. Yeah. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. 
Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he'll forgive you for having such a thought in your heart, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen. When they, have te- when they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Okay. Peter's response. Now, the first thing he said was, you have no part in this ministry. We're talking about the laying on of hands, because that's what Peter was doing. That's what he'd seen Peter doing, and so he wanted it. So, in a sense, maybe without realising it, Simon was asking to be an apostle. Well, you know, that's, that's a big thing, you know, it's a huge thing. And I'm really pleased that Peter qualified his statement by saying, because your heart is not right before God, there were some some other things that needed to happen. He used the term bitterness. Now look, if, I'm speculating again, but if Simon, this great power, was using the occult of a demonic to do the stuff that he was, you know, sort of... um, were almost worshipped for. We need to remember that it's not so long ago that the demons suddenly discovered that they were completely and utterly defeated by Jesus on the cross and by Jesus raised from the dead. I'm not sure that the word bitterness actually captures how they must have been feeling. Let's not forget, we're talking about personalities here of, of um, quite powerful spirits, but they are defeated. Oh boy, bitterness. Well, if he was using the influence of demons, of course he will have had bitterness in his heart. It'll have gone down and gone in. There was a work that needed to be done. Captive to sin. Right, this one's perhaps a bit more challenging for us. It's 52 years ago that I gave my heart to the Lord. And on that occasion, you've heard me say it before in different ways, but I put everything on the table. There was nothing held back. So, boy... God just came in. Wow. I, I, I can't even really describe it. I tried describing it, but it was big. But the truth of the matter is this. A lot of the things and behaviours that were Paul Dixon were the exact opposite of honouring God. Because that is where I was coming from. there was a lot of work to be done in my heart and that's the work of the Holy Spirit 
the main thing that the Holy Spirit does is continually points us to Jesus. Always. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And there's a little bit in the Bible somewhere that I haven't bothered to look up that says something like that we are being conformed into the likeness of Jesus. I've got to tell you, 52 years later, that's still ongoing. Still ongoing. Because if Jesus had tried, if, if the Holy Spirit had tried to do it all at once, I'd have died. I wouldn't have been able to cope with it. Until I step into eternity, that work will continue to be me being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. So I understand why Peter said some of the things that he said. And Simon's immediate request, please pray for me. So the disciples said, no, we're not going to pray for you. You're a terrible person. Go away. Doesn't tell us, but I'd be really surprised if they didn't pray for him. So what happened next? Well, verse 25, you know, tells us in great detail. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Samaria preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. That is so wonderfully vague. I mean, it's wonderful, but it's also very vague when we try and put it against, you know, where Simon was. But, you know, I wonder, and again, I'm going to speculate. I'm sorry, but I have to speculate because the detail isn't there. Do you think Peter might have said to him, you know, Simon, at some stage in the chat that they were having, in public, by the way, do you know, do you know, Simon, Jesus once said to me, get behind me, Satan. I think Peter might have told him that. I think Peter might have said, while Jesus was going through the process that took him to the cross, I denied him. Three times I said I never knew him. Oh. And then maybe he will have shared the restoration that he received when Jesus said, Simon, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? We don't know. We don't know what that... What, what, does the, what do the words say? When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, that's all we've got. That's all the information that we have. So, what happened to Simon after that? Do you know what? We have got no idea what happened to Simon after that. There are people who have suggested that he became a heretic. Um, but, you know, because this was actually written a long time after Simon was saved, there is no suggestion from Luke that he became a heretic. So it's not biblical. You know, there's a lot of assumptions being made. Well, I've made, I've made assumptions and, you know, that sort of thing as I've been talking through. So I don't know. But all I will say is, I don't know whether he's, he became a heretic or an absolutely on fire Christian for the Lord. 
Luke doesn't tell us that. All we know is that he believed, was baptised, and it sounds as though he was baptised in the Holy Spirit too. The truth is that we know very little about Simon. He's actually got a fairly big write-up for the uh, New Testament, to be fair. So, a load of names came out last week. Jairus and his daughter. Remember them? What, what happened to Jairus? And Jesus went and brought his daughter back to life. What happened to Jairus? What happened to Jairus' wife? You know, what, what followed there? Don't know. What happened to his daughter? I mean, that was pretty staggering. I don't know quite what she would have experienced, but, you know, she was suddenly alive when, and she would have been told, well, we thought well, you were dead. You were dead, but you're alive again because of Jesus. What happened to her? What about the man with the paralyzed hand? What, what, what did he do? Where, where did he go? When he, when he heard about Jesus' death and resurrection, what, what did he do? We don't know. What about the woman with a continuous period? I can't imagine that, ladies, by the way, I'm a man, but you guys would sort of have even a slight idea of what that was. What happened to her? Did she become a follower of Jesus? Did she step into Christian faith? You know, we can go through name after name after name, the demoniac, um, the lady with the bent back, um, Nicodemus. I mean, he gets a little bit more of a rate, but you know, still a lot that we don't know. Um, you know, there are so many names, but we don't really know much about them. There's a big reason for that. None of these things, not even the story of Simon the sorcerer, or the Simon the magician, none of these things are about those individuals. They're actually about Jesus. We need to grasp that. It's really, really, really important. Think about it. Starts off with Simon, really important person, loads of stuff. Philip comes along, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Suddenly Simon thinks, Jesus, I'm going to believe in Jesus. And I mean, even, you know, if you take the end of the Bible reading, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. These are the characters, you know, they, they, they just show us what Jesus can do. It's quite amazing. So if you've actually been listening to me, you're not going to be surprised by the next thing that I say. Jesus isn't part of my story. When I stepped into faith, Jesus didn't become part of my story. I became part of Jesus' story. I'd never grasped that. You might, some of you folks might think, well, how did you not know that? But until I studied this word... I didn't, it sort of sailed past me, the, the depth of the detail there, that Jesus wasn't part of my story, but I was part of his story. That is so much better than him being part of my story. I mean, orders of magnitude better. I just can't describe how much bigger it is. I'm part 
of his story. In fact, people might say, after I stepped into faith, the rest is history. His story. Jesus' story. I'm so excited about this. I am so, so excited about this. I had a great privilege of being part of the Salvation Army. And I say it's a great privilege because um, I I will tell you that when I became a Christian, I was baptised in the Holy Spirit. Same time, didn't understand what was going on. And I'm afraid the preaching of the Salvation Army on the baptism of the Holy Spirit is almost non-existent. It was sort of more like, ooh, the second blessing. But nobody actually really talked about it or preached about it. But I know that I was baptised in the Holy Spirit at that time. But the privilege was that I heard and joined in being able to um, accompany and sing some absolutely fantastic benedictions at the end of the Sunday evening meeting. I'm going to share three of them with you. Um, The first one was written by somebody called Teresa of Avia. And I don't know whether she was Spanish or French or Italian, no idea. But all I can tell you is the person that translated this thing into this benediction into English did a fantastic job. And it must have been quite a while ago because it's it's in old English. Let nothing disturb thee, nothing affright thee, all things are passing. God never changes. Patient endurance attaineth to all things, whom God possesseth in nothing is wanting. Alone, God sufficeth. I've got to tell you that by the time you get to that last line, that last line is the climax, um, both by words, by meaning, and by music as well. It was very loud. It was wonderful. Alone God sufficeth. Little short one. I'm going to take the mickey out of us all. Um, Just a little bit in a moment. Give to Jesus glory. Give to Jesus glory. Proclaim redemption's wondrous plan. Give yourself a pat on the back for being such a, doing such a good job. Of course he didn't say that. I'll do it again. Give to Jesus glory. Give to Jesus glory. Pro- proclaim redemption's wondrous plan. And give to Jesus glory. It's a fairly short one, but boy, does it pack a message. And then I'm just going to give you one more. I think I might blow me nose before we uh, get there. Excuse me for this. Ah. It's okay, I'm not going to sing it. Uh, by the way, this is written in 6-8 time, and I, I, I'm not particularly keen on 6-8 time because it's a bit sort of wishy-washy in some ways. But by the way, the way that this was done was brilliant. Perfect. Yeah, don't worry. Well, in this case, it absolutely is wonderful. This, this is the God we adore, a faithful, unchangeable friend whose love 
is as great as, as his power and knows neither measure nor end. Tis Jesus, the first and the last. His spirit will guide us safe home. We'll praise him for all that is past and trust him for all that's to come. Fantastic. I, I loved those benedictions. I went out buzzing after those benedictions. They did something in my heart. The Holy Spirit did something in my heart through those words. I'm going to bring it up to date. Well, a little bit more up to date. Um, the second half of Jesus, lover of my soul. It's all about you, Jesus. And all this is for you, for your glory and your fame. It's not about me as if you should do things my way. That's the Jesus is part of my story stance that we sometimes have. It's not about me as if you should do things my way. You alone are God. And I surrender to your ways. So... If I was to try and do the shortest summary that I can about this story about Simon is it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Just as I finish, I've got to tell you that either on Wednesday or Thursday morning, I can't remember which it was, God woke me up just after three o'clock. I'd rather he didn't do that, to be perfectly honest, but there was a reason why he woke me up at that time. And so I am going to ask you right now for everybody apart from John and the Luna to close your eyes. I'm going to ask and, and keep them closed. I'm going to talk on for a little bit longer because of what God put into my heart to say at this point. Keep your eyes closed. Because God said, I want you to give an opportunity for anybody who actually hasn't yet stepped into my story, who hasn't acknowledged me as their Lord and their Saviour. So I'm going to give that opportunity and I'm going to say, if that's you, everybody keep your eyes closed, even the person that might be responding to this, raise your hand. This is a kind of a thing that's between you and God. I'm not going to labour it. I'm not going to cajole you. But boy, do I want to give that opportunity because it's the best thing that can ever happen to you to become part of Jesus' story. The next thing that God gave me was to say, look, there may be some of you who have been, who have received salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus, who have been baptised in water, but who haven't received the Holy Spirit. This is the day for you. 
if that's you, if anyone identifies with that. So I'm going to ask you now, the rest of you keep your eyes closed. If that's you and you haven't been baptised in the Holy Spirit, raise your hand. I wouldn't be doing this if I hadn't been woken up at shortly after three o'clock on Wednesday or Thursday morning. Wasn't part of my preach as far as I was concerned. But I'm trusting God. Now, there's a couple of others. But I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. You'll be pleased to know. But everybody keep your eyes closed all the same. Some praying going on from some people right now at this moment. I can tell you that. There may be somebody here who has received salvation, been baptised in the Holy Spirit, but actually not baptised in water. You see, that was me. The Salvation Army didn't make a big deal about that one. In fact, they didn't baptise people. It was years before I got baptised in water. I knew it was the right thing to do, even though I knew I'd been saved and baptised in the Holy Spirit. I'm just so grateful to God that he's merciful and he's in charge. But if you haven't been baptised in water, then what I'm going to suggest is, while we're having you know, a cup of tea and chats afterwards, just find one of the uh, folks that you recognise as being one of the church leaders and, 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 and say, look, I am being baptised in water. I want to be baptised in water. I want to be baptised in water. Just take the opportunity to do that. And the other thing um, that, that God placed on my heart was this. Sometimes, those of us that have stepped into Jesus' story actually step back out into our story. We get into a bit of a tangle. And boy, do we need the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. And we shouldn't just... Well, we must never rely on the initial infilling of the Holy Spirit. We need to keep on asking. So again... While we're having our cups of tea and our chats, if you know that you need more of the Holy Spirit in your life right now, then I'm going to suggest that you actually look for somebody that you trust and go and say to them, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? I need more of the Holy Spirit in my life. Whether you share with them what the particular thing is, is entirely up to you. You don't need to do that and they don't need to hear it. They can just pray. And I'll tell you what, God's going to respond. God is going to respond to that. But it should be natural for us to do that in our cup of tea and natural chat times. It shouldn't be that we have to wait until we've got a, you know, a Christian huddle together. We can do it with our Christian friends um, anytime that we need to. And we need to get into that sort of habit. To be able to say, will you just, I just feel as though I need the Holy Spirit more. Will, will you just pray for me to receive more of the Holy Spirit? Don't ever be frightened of that. Don't be frightened if somebody asks you. Feel free to go and grab somebody else to, to support you. I, I would always encourage people when they're praying for someone else to have more than one person there. Um, because I think it, it helps a lot. It's not a rule. So don't mistake that one. It's not a rule. So I would just encourage you to do that. Look, I hope that what I have said this morning has been helpful.
I hope that it may have knocked a couple of barriers down. And in fact, the biggest hope that I have is that it makes you want to step deeper into Jesus' story. Lord, just pray for your blessing on everything that's been said. And as I prayed earlier, Lord, where my words haven't been adequate, I'm trusting your Holy Spirit to have done a bit of translation, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen.